Let's take our Bibles now, turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. And uh, today we have a wonderful topic to speak about and to think about as we talk about the grace of God. Have you ever been given something good that you didn't deserve? Anybody? I, I know I have. I've been given some good things that I didn't deserve. That's called grace. Have you ever not been given something bad that you did deserve? Yeah, me too. That's called mercy. And we're going to read a lot today and look at this passage of Scripture as it speaks about the grace and the mercy of God. We started off in chapter 9 thinking about the greatness of God, that we serve a God who is high and lifted up, that He is magnificent, that He is worthy of our praise. And then in the middle part of the chapter, we focused on the goodness of God. God's wonderful blessings to us. And He has just loaded us up with benefits, hasn't He? We looked at some of those that He given, had given to the children of Israel, how He had given them a land. He had given them great promises, how God had given them even a law, how God had protected them, how God had provided for them. God just gave them gift after gift after gift. And hasn't God done the same thing for us? I'm so thankful that He has. And that's God's goodness to us. But as we saw last week, as God had given them lots of good things, instead of responding properly to God, instead they disobeyed. The children of Israel did wrong. They had stiff necks and they refused to follow God and to obey Him. Instead, they found false gods to serve and to follow. Instead, they tried to live like everybody else around them. Kind of sounds like people today, doesn't it? Because God's given us good gifts. God's given everyone good gifts. And yet instead of responding in obedience and serving Him as we should, I'm not just talking about the people outside of this room, I'm talking about even those of us in this room often respond instead by disobedience and sin. But as you get to verse number 31 in chapter 9, it starts off with a wonderful word, never the less. Because when you read in Scripture, sometimes you see all these things taking place and there was a lot of bad stuff. The response of the children of Israel was not good when God gave them good things. Verse 31 says, nevertheless. There's another passage of Scripture over in the New Testament and it says it this way, but God. All these things may have taken place, there may have been a lot of bad choices, a lot of things have, have been done wrong, but God. The children of Israel had turned their backs on God, they had gone their own way, they had done what they wanted to do, they had experienced lots of punishment, nevertheless. And I don't know where you're at this morning, I don't know which side of that you're on. If you're on the disobedient side, if you've been away from God, I want you to know, nevertheless. God is still good, and God is gracious and merciful. Maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you are experiencing God's grace in your life, and you're walking in obedience with Him. Don't ever get full of yourself and say, well, look what I've done. No, it's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. Nevertheless, verse 31, for thy great mercies sake thou didst utterly consume them thou didst not utterly consume them nor forsake them for thou art a gracious and merciful god that first verse there that verse 31 really sums up the idea of all of the rest of this chapter that god is a gracious and merciful god i want us to look through these nine verses or so, eight verses, and think about God's grace for us. But before we get to grace, we really have to start at sin. We see that mentioned in verse 31. He says that thou didst not utterly consume them. They deserved something. They had done something wrong. Look at verse 33. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right. God did right, he said, but we have done wickedly. Do you know who's speaking here in Nehemiah chapter 9? It's actually not Nehemiah. It is the Levites. It's the group of, 
of men that have been called out to lead the children of Israel in worship of God. These are men that you would say, these are the right kind of guys. These are the leaders, the spiritual leaders. But I think it's very important right here in the beginning of this message that we understand that we are all sinners. They included themselves in this. We have done wickedly. You know, it sounds very similar to what Nehemiah himself said back in chapter 1. Go back there really quickly with me, if you would. Nehemiah chapter 1. Look at verse number 6. Nehemiah 1 verse 6 says, Let thine ear, he's speaking to God, he's praying to God, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, notice, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept thy statutes, nor thy, nor thy commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou hast commandest thy servant Moses. We see right here at the beginning, Nehemiah includes himself as a sinner. The Levites call themselves sinners. They were speaking then about the whole nation of Israel as well, that they were all sinners. And sin deserves God's judgment. We all deserve to be consumed. That's what he says here in verse 31, back in chapter 9. For thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume us. The Bible says it this way over in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. We deserve to be consumed. I think we could also say we deserve to be forsaken. Do you see that also? Thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. They deserve to be forsaken. I would tell you these are the two opposite things of what people want. Nobody wants to be consumed and nobody wants to be forsaken. Everybody wants to matter and everybody wants somebody to be around them, to encourage them and to be with other people. You see, God created us that way. God created us for fellowship. Clear back in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, He made them and He came down and He fellowshiped with them every single day. God created us to have a relationship with Him. Did you know that? God wants to have a relationship with you, a personal relationship where He talks to you and you talk to Him, a close, loving relationship. But something came between to break that relationship down. We sang about God's holiness in the first song this morning, holy, holy, holy. But something has separated us from God's holiness and that something is sin. That's why we all deserve to be consumed because of our sin. But God wants to have a relationship with us just like God wanted to have a relationship with his people, the nation of Israel. That's why you see at the end of verse 31, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. The sin of the children of Israel was ongoing. It was repeated generation after generation. The sins of the people were great and they had received the judgment of God because of their sin. I'm just going to give you a quick historical rundown of the nation of Israel. This is very quick. We'll skip over a few things, but maybe you can go back and think about these things yourself. You can go back to Exodus 24. You don't need to turn there now, but maybe just make a note of it. Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, speak about the covenant that God made with the children of Israel on the top of Mount Sinai. God made a special promise with them, but it wasn't long before they broke that covenant. You can go to Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. We read about the renewal of the covenant. As the children of Israel entered into the land of Canaan, they looked around. They said, wow, God really did keep his promises. Let's renew our covenant with him. Let's renew our commitment to obedience and following God. It wasn't long, though, before they fell into sin again. 
So you can go to the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, verse 14 through 28, and read how God renewed this covenant again with them after they conquered the land of Canaan. But just a couple pages over in your Bible, and it wasn't many years after that, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, we read about their rebellion against the Lord. See, Joshua died. The people that had come into the land with Joshua as the leader, they all died. And their children didn't carry on in the faith of their parents. That's another message for another day, but it's very interesting there in Judges chapter 2, you read about this first generation that knew God and they had seen the works of God. They had experienced God's power in wonderful ways. But then it says the next generation, they had only heard of the works of God and they had not seen God work for themselves. And so by the third generation, it said they forgot God altogether. Somebody said it this way, God doesn't have any grandchildren. All of us must come as a child of God ourselves. Just because you grew up around it doesn't make it good enough for you. It won't stick. It has to be something that you accept personally for yourself. And parents and grandparents, it would behoove us to be careful to challenge our children with these truths, not just assume that they'll get it just because they grow up in church. Amen. A lot of people have had that attitude. Well, my kids grew up in church. I don't know what's wrong. If they don't see the power of God working in their own life, if they don't personally have a relationship with God, all the growing up around it won't help them as much as we think it should. It has to be real in their heart just as it's real in your heart. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, as we walk in the power of God, we get to experience God. That comes as we read His Word and we learn what He says and then we live in obedience to it. As we live in obedience to God's word, we get to experience God at work in our hearts and at work in the lives around us because the power of God is at work as we fulfill his command. He's given us many commands, but his great commission is to go and share the gospel. When you lead other people to Christ, you get to experience the power of God working through you. When you walk in obedience to God's word, you get to experience what it's like to feel God at work in your life, and it's a wonderful thing. But if children don't ever have that experience for themselves, then they never make those steps. Yes, they do it because mom and dad do it, but we don't want them just to do it because mom and dad do it. We want them to do it because they want to do it, because God wants them to do it, because they want to be obedient to Him. But the children of Israel, they rebel against the Lord again in Judges chapter 2. You go on down, 1 Samuel chapter 11. We see about another renewal of the covenant as Samuel is leading the people back to God, and they come together and they follow him. But it wasn't long after that that the people said, Make us a king, Samuel. Give us a king so we can be like all the other nations around us. See, instead of trying to follow God, they wanted to be like everybody else. Being like everybody else doesn't help you follow God. Because following God is not what everybody else is doing. So they followed King Saul, and he very quickly led the people into sin and into defeat. As Samuel even warned the people, if I give you a king, he's going to lead you astray. They said, no, give us a king anyway. They got what they asked for, but it wasn't what they really wanted. Then as King David comes onto the scene, he leads the people back to God, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Solomon, David's son, even seems to take a step even further in this, in this direction as he has this wonderful dedication of the temple, as he rebuilds this temple for worship to the Lord, builds this wonderful place. But even Solomon himself, turned his back on God because he wanted to chase all the women from all the other kingdoms. And after chasing those other people that weren't followers of God, he started following their false gods as well. This cycle of coming back to God and renewing their commitment, their covenant to follow Him and then falling back into sin was repeated over and over and over again in their life. 
And I think we need to be very careful before we think we're any better than the Israelites because that same cycle happens in our lives, doesn't it? I think if every one of us was honest, we'd say there have been times in my life when I was doing what God wanted me to do and then there's been other times where it hadn't been as real as it should have been and I I did some things wrong. I, I went astray. I got my eyes focused on other things. And that's where God's grace is so wonderful. Nevertheless, God shows His grace and mercy to us. But God's grace and mercy is not an excuse to continue on in my sin. God's grace and mercy is a reason to come back to God, follow Him, renew my commitment to Him, and walk in faithful obedience to Him. We see their sin. It's repeated over and over again. Nehemiah recognizes his sin. The Levites recognize their sin. The whole nation of Israel recognizes their sin. And I would tell you, there's no renewing of a commitment to God without first recognizing your sin. There's no salvation in your life without first recognizing that you're a sinner. A lot of people want to be saved. A lot of people don't want to recognize or admit that they're sinners. We have to admit that we have a problem, and that problem is sin. It's deep-rooted in all of us because we were all born with it. None of us was born perfect. Jesus is the only one that was born perfect. We were all born in our sin, and so we must come to God for forgiveness of that sin. God's grace, that's God giving me something I don't deserve. Somebody said it this way, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's mercy, He's not giving me something I do deserve. I deserve to be consumed. You deserve to be consumed. Eternal death and destruction. God offers grace instead. Now, I don't want to labor this point too long, but I think it's very important because there are still people who say, well, I don't think I've done anything too bad. Well, God gave us a, a list of 10 very straightforward commandments. Maybe you're familiar with them. Now, I won't put you on the spot, but I've done this before with children and teens because it's easier to put them on the spot. But adults, they just get mad at you, so I won't do it to you. But I would guess that most of us, if I said to you, could you stand up and name for me the Ten Commandments, you would have a hard time doing it. And I would just challenge you about that. If that's you this morning, think about it. Something as basic as that, and yet we don't know it. How do we expect to live in obedience to God when we don't even know the simple things of the Scripture? It's not hard to memorize ten things. In fact, I'll give you a quick lesson this morning. Are you ready? So you can learn the Ten Commandments with me, okay? This is how I teach children the Ten Commandments, and if it works for kids, it'll work for grown-ups. And it even has hand motions, okay? So you've got to get your hands involved. Some of you were shouting and ye yelling at your TV last night, and waving your hands around. So you can get your hands busy this morning and learn the Ten Commandments with me, okay? It also follows along with the numbers. It's very simple, okay? The first one, number one. Everybody hold up your one finger there. And, and this is the first commandment. The first commandment is this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So here's how I remember it. There's only one God, okay? Everybody say that with me. One God, okay? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is this. It's number two, okay? You're going to get the motions are pretty easy. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So if you think of these kind of like scissors, if you're cutting something out, you're making something, we should not make a, any graven image, all right? Let's say that. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, all right? That's two. That's the second commandment. All right, what's number one? No other gods before me. You can say one God. That'll be easier for you. Here we go. One God, all right? Number two, make unto thee, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, all right? So I don't make anything else and say, this is my God. I can't say, all right, this pumpkin's my God. No, I can't say that car's my God, my house, my God, my judge. No, none of those things. There's only one God, and I'm not to make unto thee any graven image. Number three, okay? The third commandment is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, okay? Now, here's how I remember this. The three fingers, when you hold them up, kind of looks like the letter 
W. Okay, and it's to help us remember our words, right? What I say. I'm not to take God's name in vain. So taking God's name in vain is me saying God's name when I'm not really talking about God. I'm just using it as, a, as an expletive or an exclamation and, and not really worshiping Him with what I'm saying. And God says not to do that. So we remember our words. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All right, let's say that together. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All right, you've already learned three of the commandments this morning. That's maybe more than you've learned all week. I don't know. Okay, here we go. Number four, this is a little bit more challenging with the motion, but it's not too bad. It's remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in that commandment, there's eight words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, can you do that? Can you count to four two times? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right, so it's a special day. We worship God and we want to have a day set apart for the Lord. Number five, some of you might have been in the scouts or something like that and you would put up your hand to take a pledge. It's uh, honor thy father and thy mother. All right, so it's like you're taking a pledge, the fifth commandment, five fingers. Let's say it together. Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, this is the one the kids enjoy. I don't know why they enjoy this, because it's not something to be enjoyable, and yet everybody always giggles at this one. The sixth commandment is thou should not kill. So you got your six fingers. <laughs> See, you did it too. You laughed. Thou should not kill. Okay, now you remember that one. All the rest you'll forget, but you'll remember the sixth commandment, okay? The sixth commandment, thou should not kill. Let's see if everybody remembers. Okay. That one may be not very politically correct these days. Okay. The seventh commandment is thou should not commit adultery. So you take this hand, kind of like it's an aisle in a church, and you've got the husband and wife walking down the aisle to get married. Thou should not commit adultery. Can you say that one? Thou shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh. The eighth commandment, this one's kind of fun too. I do four and four like this. It's thou should not steal. If you steal, you'll go to jail, okay? So thou should not steal, and you can remember that because you'll go to jail. The ninth commandment, thou should not bear false witness. You've got this little guy over here whispering to these guys about something over here. He's telling a lie. Thou should not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And the tenth commandment, people generally like this one too, is thou shalt not covet. Turn your hands over. Gimme, gimme, gimme. There you go, all right? Thou should not covet. All right, you got those down? I won't give you a test later because I, I don't want you to bear false witness and then lie, okay? All right. These are the Ten Commandments. We know that there are Ten Commandments. And if I had asked you to give me the Ten Commandments, maybe collectively with our group this morning, we could have named them. But probably most of us most of you, I know I could, I just did it, but most of you might not have been able to stand up and name the Ten Commandments. That's okay. It's something to learn, though, and it's something to put in our heart and to be able to think about the truth of God's Word. The Ten Commandments very simply demonstrate to us that we are all sinners. Because if there's only one God, then if I worship anything else other than God, I'm a sinner. I can't make any other thing to be a God in my life. So if I've taken anything else that I've made, I've produced, I've worked on, and I put that in a priority position higher than God, I'm a sinner. For most people, this one's very easy. Probably many people break this on a daily, even a weekly basis. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If I use God's word just flippantly, I'm a sinner. Remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Oh, how often we break that, don't we? Honoring your father and your mother. Children have all disobeyed their parents. They've all dishonored their parents. We're sinners. Not killing. You say, well, okay, finally I've got one. I'm okay on Did you know Jesus said... It hath been said, thou shalt not kill, but if you have hate in your heart towards somebody else, but in the eyes of God, it's as if you've committed murder. 
Oh, 0 for 6. <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, some would say, well, I'm okay. I've still got that one. But the Bible says if you look on a woman with lust in your eyes that you've committed adultery. 0 for 7. Thou shalt not steal. Well, you might not have gone to jail for it. But I would guess most people have probably at some point in their life taken something that wasn't theirs. That means you're a thief. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Well, I think everybody's probably told a lie. Anybody in here not told a lie? Okay. I'm just going to see if you could lie right now in church, okay? I think everybody's lied at some point. You're a liar. I'm a liar. It's hard to say those words, isn't it? I'm a liar. Yet it's true. And coveting, I think all of us at various times in our life probably said, boy, I really wish, boy, I'd be a lot happier if I just had whatever that person has or if my life was as good as theirs. I think if most people were honest, they would probably say they've broken most, if not all, of the Ten Commandments. That means we're sinners. That means I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. The children of Israel were sinners, and because of their sin, they deserve to be consumed. Because of our sin, we deserve the same thing. But, nevertheless, if the first point is that sin deserves God's judgment, the second point is this, that God's grace is not dependent on my goodness. It's dependent on His. Go back to verse number 31. Verse number 31 he says, nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, not for your sake, not because of what you did, but for God's mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. He says again, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. There are some people who will say, well, I've done some bad things, but I've done a lot of good things too, and I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. Therefore, I'm okay. No, you're not. Say, why not? Well, because he didn't show you his grace because you were good. He did it for his own mercy's sake. You see that? It's right there in 31. Look at verse 32. It expands on this. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy... Let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, on our priests, on our prophets, on our fathers, on all the people, since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Now, what's he talking about? What was the trouble that had come upon the children of Israel? Well, they had been defeated. They had been enslaved. They were paying tribute to a pagan king. The king was taking of the riches of the land that God had promised to the nation of Israel and taking it to enrich himself and do his own things. He followed false gods. He did wicked things. And the children of Israel are saying, listen, we are getting what we deserve. God, don't let that trouble seem little to you. God, please help us. They understood their position. It didn't matter that they had come back together and rebuilt a wall God didn't show grace to them just because, wow, look at those people. They're trying really hard, so let me show some grace to them. No, God showed grace to them because he wanted to show grace to them because God loves people. Jesus didn't come die on the cross for you because you just tried really hard and you were a really nice person and, you know, he just wanted to help you out because you were already trying so hard. No, he came and died on the cross for you, not because you did anything to deserve it, but because Jesus loves you you and he loves me it wasn't because of our goodness that he gives us his grace god forgives based on his grace and mercy because if god forgave based on what you have done you would never be forgiven god forgives based on his faithfulness you see that back here in the verse he talks about who keepest covenant and mercy. Middle of verse 32. God keeps his covenants and he's merciful. God forgives because he's faithful, not because we are. And we should forgive 
Not because others are faithful, but because God is faithful to us. Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, not for your sake, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God forgives based on His faithfulness. I, I would tell you that the story of history could be summed up in this phrase that God's faithfulness to people in spite of people's unfaithfulness to God. God continues to be faithful. He continues to keep His promises. But there's an important note that I want to make, and you can see it borne out in this passage, that God's forgiveness does not remove all consequences of sin. Sometimes we think, well, I'm forgiven, so I don't have to go to hell. That means all the consequences are gone. No, all the consequences are not gone. Hell is, is separation from God. And yes, it's a fiery torment. It's a lake of fire. It's an awful place. But that's not the only place that consequences for sin exist. There are consequences for sin in this life too. God's forgiveness does not remove all of the consequences of sin. It does remove the eternal consequence of separation from God. But there are still scars that we get because of sin in this life. The children of Israel were experiencing the pain and suffering that came because of their sin before God. And I would tell you, God's grace and not God's forgiveness is not an excuse to keep on sinning. Rather, it's a reason to come back to God and walk faithfully with God because God's forgiveness doesn't remove all the consequences of sin in this life. You say, really? Yeah, we live in a wicked, sin-cursed world, don't we? There's sickness, there's pain, there's death. All consequences of sin. And God has not removed those consequences from us just because we're saved. And those are just kind of on the top consequences. We can go far deeper and think about individual things. There are marriages in trouble because of the consequences of sin. There are children that are running far from God because of the consequences of sin. There are the after effects of bad and harmful things that people put into their bodies as a consequence of sin. And you can be saved, you can be forgiven from your sin, and God is gracious and merciful. But don't ever think that, well, I just won't have any consequences because I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. Because some people try to live that way, and it doesn't work. It's a misunderstanding of God's grace. It's a misunderstanding of forgiveness. The Bible says it this way over in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. There's still pain, even though we've been forgiven. There's still consequences for our sin. God's grace is a wonderful gift, and the value of that gift is measured by what it takes to earn it or to get it. You can't earn it. You can't go out and get it for yourself. You can only receive the gift of God's grace that's been offered freely to all. To receive the grace of God is to, to admit that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's law, and there's nothing that you can do to fix it except to accept God's free gift of salvation that He offers freely to all who will receive it. This idea continues on of how people relate with God's gifts and God's grace to them. We see in verses 35 through 37, the children of Israel, I would say, really imposed on the grace of God. And we could say it this way, imposing on God's grace results in God's judgment because God offers grace freely to all. Look at verse 35. He's talking about all of the people of Israel. He says, For they have not served thee in their kingdom. And in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. God was faithful. God showed grace. God was merciful. God gave them gifts. 
God gave them this wonderful land, and yet they didn't respond in obedience. Verse 36, behold, we are thy servant, or we are servants this day. He's not saying we are thy servants. We are servants. They were enslaved. Why? He says, we're servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers, to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. Now, let me just take just a moment because I feel like this is so great here. I want you to understand this. God gave the children of Israel a land, right? And when they went into the land, God said, I want you to serve me in this land, right? When they were in the land, they were to honor God, to worship God, to follow God, to obey God. But they rejected God and they went their own way. It's as if they said, we don't want to serve anybody. We don't want to serve God. We want to do things our own way. So what happened? They became servants of another king. It's very simply this, folks. You're always serving somebody. Everybody has a king. The question is, who is your king? I'm thankful that Jesus is my king. He is gracious. He is merciful. He's ready to forgive there are no other kings like King Jesus. Jesus will forgive you when another king would never forgive you. He would consume you. Jesus would show grace and mercy to you when the kings of this world, the king, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, he won't show you that same kind of mercy because there's only one king that exists as the servant of all, and that is King Jesus. See, what happened when King Saul took over the nation of Israel? He began to serve his own needs and his own desires and his own wants instead of really following God and taking care of the children of Israel. That story was repeated over and over with the kings in the nation of Israel. And the same thing happens to people today when they say, I don't want God to be my king. I don't want to worship God. They end up in bondage to another king who is not a good, kind master at all. We live in a world today where people are in bondage to the wrong king, the king of self, the king of me first, the king of let me get what I want and that'll make me happy. It won't make you happy. You can learn that the easy way by listening to God and walking in obedience to Him. Or you can learn it the hard way by ignoring God and going your own way and experiencing the unhappiness that comes when you're trying to serve yourself. And here's how the devil does it. He holds things in front of us and people in front of us and say, but look at them. They're happy and they're not following God. You don't know what's going on in their heart. I don't think some of these celebrities that are often looked to in our culture as being happy people, they don't seem very happy. They can't stay married. Their children are off doing who knows what. They're constantly, it seems like, many of them in, in court for various foolish things that they do. One day they have a lot of money. The next day they don't have any the only way they can seem to get satisfaction is by keeping themselves in the news media so everybody can talk about them. And it's like if they're not in front of people all the time, they don't matter anymore. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing when you walk with God because you matter even if no one else knows who you are because God knows who you are and God cares about you and God will take you and use you to fulfill a wonderful purpose in your life that's far greater than any purpose that any other king out there would have for you. There's no greater king than our king. There's no greater king than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He offers great grace to us. Oh, I would urge you this morning to throw off the shackles of whatever other king you are following this morning and turn your heart to the Lord and follow Him because He offers grace. Look at verse 37. 
says, and it yieldeth much increase. What yields increase? Their land. They lived in this rich, fertile land, and it's yielding increase to who? Not to the children of Israel. No, unto the kings whom thou hast set over us. See, the kings of this world are out for themselves. You're going to work really hard so you can fill their pockets with money. They don't exist to help you. They exist to help themselves. They're going to put themselves on TV so you can talk about them so they can become famous, not to help you. I, I see stuff all the time, and you probably do too. People, there, there have been people commit suicide and people are caught up in all kinds of awful mental issues because they're trying to look like somebody else and they can't do it. They're having all kinds of surgeries on themselves to try to emulate some idea of what is perfect or to keep themselves from getting old. Folks, it's not bad to grow old. It just means you're closer to Jesus. But people in this world is like, let's fight against growing old. Let's fight against this. Let's fight against that because I'm trying to control myself. I'm trying to keep myself right where I can be. They're serving the wrong king. Don't get caught up in that mess. There's no greater king than King Jesus because these other kings, they just benefit off the land that God gave you to enjoy to be able to use to worship him. They're using it for their own purposes. Yet people will go home and they'll say, well, we just don't understand. Folks, I understand sometimes we can get ourselves in such a mess that it seems impossible to give it out of it. I was very clear though, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things shall be added unto you. Follow God first. Put him first. No other gods before me. Start there. And let God take care of all the other things. Jesus was asked in the New Testament, what was the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is this, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Put God first. This is the problem with the nation of Israel in this chapter. They're confessing their sin. We haven't put you first. We've served other kings. We didn't mean to serve other kings, but that's where it ends up every single time. You can't walk away from God and experience blessing. It just doesn't work. And yet everybody for generations, for the entire history of the world, people believe that they could do that. It's because we're born sinners. So your children are going to grow up believing that unless you teach them differently. That's why in junior church, it's still the same as it's always been. You're always dealing with the same things. You're teaching the same stuff, the same problems. You're working through the same things. Why? Because we all start in the same place. God was good to his people even when his people were not good to him. Even in his mercy, God didn't give them what they deserved. In his grace, he gave them what they didn't deserve. The nation of Israel enjoyed God blessing, God's blessings in the past, but they continued to sin against the God who had blessed them. So what do we need to do? Verse 38, because of all this, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant. God, we're going to commit to you. And write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. If you want to go home this afternoon, you can read a whole list of names in chapter 10. All these people that signed on to the covenant were part of this. What was this? This was a returning to a commitment to obedience to God. To say, God, we're going to follow your law. We're going to obey you. I would say we must commit to God because of His grace to us. God kept His side of the covenant, but they broke their side. So what do we need to do? Return, confess, and renew. Chapter 9 is a wonderful chapter about our God. In verse 5, we see that our God is glorious. In verse 6, we see that our God is powerful. In verse 8, we see that our God is faithful. In verse 9, we see that our God is concerned with the needs of His people. In verses 17 through 19, we see that our God is a 
pardoning God. In verses 21 and 30, we see that our God is long-suffering when we sin. In verse 26, we see our God is one who chastens when we rebel. In verses 24 and 25 and verse 35, we see that our God is a generous God. There is no greater king than King Jesus. Our God gives us far more than we deserve, and he always keeps his promises, even when we are faithful, when we are unfaithful. Because he is great, good, and gracious, we should live lives of humble, obedient service to him. Confess, forsake, find grace and mercy today. Nevertheless, God's grace is sufficient. Your bad relationships are because of sin, pride, selfishness, ignoring the needs of someone else for my own desires, refusing to forgive. These are all because of sin. Romans 5.20 says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. God gave us the law so we would know what sin was. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. doesn't matter how big your sin is this morning. God's grace is bigger. That's a blessing. That's the king that I want to serve. I don't want to live my life someday and get to the end of it and look back and think, wow, everything I did ended up going to somebody else and it, it didn't really matter. I want everything I have to go to God. Jesus said it this way, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves Break through and steal. And he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Nothing can take away the treasure that's in heaven. God's given you a land to work. Doesn't necessarily mean a piece of property today, I understand, but God's given you something to do. God's given you a purpose in life. He's given you a mind. He's given you hands. He's given you the ability to do things. Use it to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't use what God has given you and waste it so that some other king can benefit by it because that king doesn't care about you. That king didn't die for your sins. That king is not preparing a home in heaven for you for eternity. That king can't give you eternal life. There's only one king the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He is a gracious and merciful King. Folks, when I read this and I think about this, I just, I, it's, it's like God just kind of opens me up and I think, wow, how am I living my life? I, I don't want it to be a waste. I don't want to end up frustrated and upset because I've spent my whole life working for something that was the wrong thing. How terrible that would be. Imagine getting a job out of college, excited about your new career and working and growing in a business. Imagine how people felt when they took their money and invested it with people only to find out it was a Ponzi scheme and someone was taking it all anyway. They'd worked, they'd invested, they put all this effort in, and then it was gone. Because that king was taking it for himself and putting it in his own pocket. I think some people are going to get to the end of their life and realize that serving anything other than the king of kings and the lord of lords is like a giant Ponzi scheme. Well, I've worked, I've got all this stuff, look at me, look what I did. I've tried to accomplish this. Yeah, I've had some hard things, but, you know, it is what it is. Or sometimes people say, well, my life's really awful. It's, it's bad. If God was good, he wouldn't give me these bad things. No, God gives you what he wants to give you. So work faithfully from where you are. Serve him and trust him to provide because someday I'm so thankful by serving God, we don't get to the end of it all and go, I got nothing to show for it. I've got a heavenly home. 
There's only two things you can take to heaven. You can only take your relationship with God and other people that you win to Christ. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your house with you. You can't take anything with you except those that you point to Jesus. I hope you know that you're going to spend an eternity with Christ. That's where it starts. That's where grace starts in helping us understand our need of a Savior and trusting Christ. If you've never done that, do that today. But it doesn't stop there. Too many times as Christians say, well, I've got that figured out. I'm okay. No. I still need to walk in the reality of what God has done for me and continue to serve Him faithfully. Because God's good. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, I would urge you to call out to the Lord. Pray to Him, God, I'm yours. I need to have my sins forgiven today. I'm trusting in you because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I know I don't deserve it, but I want Jesus to forgive me. Please save me from my sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior. You've experienced God's grace, but you're not living like it on the today like you should. So pray and ask God to forgive you. Admit to Him, God, I'm yours. Please forgive me for not acting like your child. Help me to forgive others as you would have me to forgive. Help me to love others as you love them. Help me to live for you. Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve and not giving me what I do deserve. I don't know what your prayer is this morning, but I hope as we close the service, before we take time to remember what Christ did for us on the cross, would you confess to the Lord today Ask Him to forgive you if you're far from Him. Ask Him to help you to walk in faithfulness with Him. Know that God's grace is sufficient. He loves you. He'll help you. Father, help us as we finish out this time of the service. Lord, we've heard Your Word. But I believe as You teach in Your Word that Worship has not been completed until we've responded to your word. I pray that if someone's here today that's not responded to you in some way that has sin that is unconfessed or they've never trusted you as their Savior, that today they would make that right. Just as the children of Israel did at the end of chapter 9, they renewed their covenant. Lord, may someone here this morning renew their commitment to you. Not because it's easy, not because it means I can just keep living life as I am, but because of what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The piano's going to play, and let's take some time to respond. I can pray with you up here. You can pray in your seat, but... You need to respond to the Lord today. If God's word spoken to you, take some time to do that now.